Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Oh, hello. I'm Chris Steyerwald. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Eliana Johnson, what have you been up to? I have I spent the last week in Montgomery, Alabama, as okay. part of the Civil Society Fellowship, Did which you, is is society civil now. It Did is. Uh, <laughs> we left work undone. Okay, the, but, the struggle endures. The work goes on. The dream will never die. But I mean, other than saving civil society, any news since you've last been uh, on Ink Stained Wretches? Well, first, I wanted to thank Christine Rosen so much for filling in. And I wrote her telling her that she was so good she could She's take my place She's permanently. And what else? I said, we got to come back and talk about working on the fourth there you go. Pre- Republican presidential there primary to debate, which will also take place in Alabama, but in Tuscaloosa on December 6th. And... We are actually working together on this. I know. It's been so nice to work on this with you. And as I told Christine and as I've said, I to have three anchors, three moderators, Elizabeth Vargas, Megan Kelly, and you, all of whom I've worked with, all of whom I know, all of whom I love, is a real treat. And we, we don't want to give away too much about the process, but I only want to say I've been not surprised, but continually impressed with your work ethic, your professionalism, uh, your incisive questioning, and the way that you've come at this. So it's really great to see. I like I, I like for the wider world to see what I've already known. I wanted to say a little bit about just our thought process behind getting involved in this and and partnering with News Nation and Sirius XM and Megyn Kelly. And I, I think our hope is really that we and there have been a couple stories that sort of covered this from this angle, but that we can demonstrate that these debates can be done sort of outside the mainstream media and and sort of major corporate media bubble and can be done seriously, credibly, professionally and with and then that we can bring questions that are really on the minds of Republican primary voters. No, no doubt. And I want to say that we're looking for opportunities that we're going to be taking wretches on the road for this debate. Intrepid producer Colin Chicola will be with us. Nate Moore will be with us. We will be we'll be a, a traveling band of vagabonds in Alabama, and we're looking for opportunities to enrich the wretch experience while we're down there. So stay tuned for updates on that front. Yes. With that, Chris and I were just talking about, should we should we talk about 2024 because we're talking about the debate or should we start with talking about Israel? I ended up saying I kind of don't think we have big enough 2024 news to go right into that. So we're going to make the awkward transition into into the somber topic of Israel and Hamas. I had sort of a couple of general thoughts on this. One is not media 
Well, it's sort of media related in that I stayed up way past my bedtime until nine something last night, Chris, to watch the president's press conference after meeting with President Xi of China. And I was impressed. Yeah. I was impressed. He was good all Um, the way to the end. First of all, how crazy is it that he came out and announced because China's economy is in shambles. So President Xi came to meet with Biden in China and he had to offer some concessions because he needs more cooperation, not less from the U.S., given the state of his economy. So Biden came out. Chinese state media turned on a dime and was saying very nice things about the U.S., not not what's been happening for the past couple of years. But anyways, there were a lot of questions to ask about the U.S.-China relationship. I would say 75 percent of the questions asked in this press conference were about Israel-Gaza, which was wild to me. You guys have the president right off a four-hour meeting with Xi, and all the questions were about Israel-Gaza, which I think says a lot about the state of our media. And they were coming from a hostile place. And Biden defended himself, and he was stringing thoughts together. And Last question, he got a little slippy. But and he almost he almost made a goof when he basically said, I want to be careful with what I say. And he was about to say, like, we told Israel to do, you know, right. we ordered them. We and he he got real close to the line there. But overall, I was impressed. I think there's a, a frustration on the left media and in the right media with Biden. The frustration on the left media, of course, is why is he because Barack Obama already told him what he should be saying. Right. Team Obama has already come out. And it's very easy to imagine how the presidential election would be different if Kamala Harris were the Democratic nominee, because she would have definitely succumbed to pressure from Black Lives Matter and the Arab American voters in Michigan and others. And you heard what Obama said, right? And you heard what these people have said. They're very frustrated with Biden for being so staunchly pro-Israel. There, uh, can I summarize their view in seven words? It's terrible. Israelis were murdered, but... Yeah. And so that's the frustration on on left media. But then on the right media, the frustration is, can you say something good about Joe Biden, right? Like, is are, are, you, allowed, are you allowed to say something good about Joe Biden? Because obviously heading into a presidential election year, it's very difficult to... It's very difficult for right-wing pundits to to praise... Biden. But I got to tell you, based on what I was expecting from this administration after the October 7th attack, I thought, boy, this is we'll 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 see Biden and what's his name? John Kirby. Kirby. They're just like they're 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 taking the heat. They're they're doing the thing. It's I I admire political courage and we don't have enough of it. And I it's it's nice to see some. Well, I will also say I expect. I didn't expect, even if Biden felt these things and yes. thought these things, that he would actually be capable of stringing the sentences together. Yep. And he kind of was. After a long day. Um, it was a big day yeah. for the president. I mean, he sort of shuffled to the podium and he he obviously looks old. But, like, he did have to string thoughts together. So no, and he, he did. exceeded expectations. Right. Set the bar. Uh, set the bar. The soft bigotry of low expectations. Yeah. <laughs> set the bar low and then surmount it. That's the story of my life. The other thing that had been on my mind over the past week was that we learned that one of the 10 American hostages living underground in Gaza is a three-year-old American girl. And 
had been sort of puzzled by the fact that we haven't learned more about these people, that the news media hasn't been keeping them on the front pages. The one American hostage who we've heard a lot about is Hirsch Goldberg Poland, whose mother, Rachel Goldberg, has been all over the news and obviously has made a great deal of effort to mount a media campaign about her son and her family. But the others, including this three-year-old girl, we haven't heard that much about. And in other situations where, you know, Daniel Pearl, where people have been taken hostages, these are people whose names have mm-hmm. who've become famous. And this is not the case with these American hostages in Gaza. I've sort of been curious why the administration hasn't made a bigger deal of these. They were reluctant even to give a number. I'm not sure if it's they didn't know it, but it's it's been a question in my mind. Anyhow, Gail King sat down with the father oh. of a an eight-year-old girl and I believe this is this is not an American, but a British citizen. And forgive me if I'm wrong, but he, he has a British accent. And this was the question that she asked the father of this eight-year-old girl who has been living in a cave for the past six weeks, yeah. five weeks. Let's play that clip. But now this seems to be all about politics. What do you say about that? You know, you have innocent children in Palestinians who are dying, innocent Israeli children who are dying. And no one seems to be able to say enough, stop that. Uh, (laughs) I'm not interested in politics at all. Uh, My only concern is getting Emily back. And I truly wondered, first of all, she's she's not a hostage because of politics. Right. Uh, she is. She was taken hostage by a terrorist organization. Well, the Im- the implicit question is: Shouldn't you sacrifice? Shouldn't you be willing to sacrifice your daughter's life so that we can have peace in the Middle East? And what a horrible thing to ask a father of a a child who's being held captive uh, by terrorists. And I mean, I understand why he went on because he's trying to raise visibility but what a horrible thing to ask a person and he responds just uh, he's truly speechless he doesn't know what to say yeah that's um, uh, that's awful and i can't imagine another situation or world conflict in which other than israel in which an anchor would put that sort of a question to a father whose child was right you wouldn't hostage. say to the family of his name is evan gershkowitz the exactly the american journalist held hostage, essentially, by the Russian Russian. judicial system, you wouldn't say to his parents, look, you know, for the sake of peace, this is a lot of politics around this. Shouldn't you just abandon your son to a life sentence in a Russian gulag for so we can move on from this? And by the way, the, you know, the social media handle of Evan of every journalist is bring Evan home. Yeah. Um, And if you go to The Wall Street Journal, I'm going to go there right now. They have a banner up counting the number of days that he's been held hostage. Which they should, and well they should. Absolutely. On the journal website, Evan Gerskovich, seven months detained. About Evan, his family reflects, his reporting, how you can help, write a message. He's their own. And I'm just surprised that there hasn't been more of this about the American hostages. I, I don't know why. I think there are probably multiple reasons why we don't know more about the hostages. And I assume one of them is that the families of those held hostage might not want to be 
further identified, that they might be targeted, that they might they themselves might be victims of attacks. And I think there's a possibility that it increases the value of those hostages. Like John McCain became a very high value hostage because of who his father was and so on. I think there there are reasons. But that doesn't explain why the news media isn't more curious. It also doesn't explain why Gail King would say to a grieving father, come on. Get get real here. Isn't it isn't it time to move on from this for the good of for 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 world peace? And by the way, Rachel, Rachel Goldberg, the mother of this 22 year old Hirsch Goldberg, Poland, who they saw a video of him with um, half of his arm blown off before he was taken um, into Gaza. And she went on Anderson Cooper the other night and said that she was flummoxed. But after being asked by an American official she met with who said to her, So how often does Hamas let you talk to your son? And she said she was gobsmacked by the idea that an American would ask her because obviously she's not speaking to her son. Obviously, these conversations are not happening. And she was shocked at the ignorance of the question. He may have been testing her. So the other the other thing that struck me and it's been the only news really out of Israel this week, out of Israel, Gaza, is that Israel has reached the Al-Shifa Hospital, Mm -hmm. which is the Hamas headquarters in Gaza. And this has really been covered like Israel claims it is, and Hamas claims it's a medical facility. So the AP in their morning newsletter writes, in the news today, colon, Israel raids a Gaza hospital that has become a symbol of the suffering of Palestinian civilians. Mm. Their story is medics and patients, including babies, stranded as battles rage around Gaza hospitals. Israel accuses Hamas of using hospitals as cover for its fighters, alleging that Hamas has set up its main command center in and beneath Gaza's largest hospital, Shifa, without providing visual evidence. Both Hamas and Shifa hospital staff deny the allegations. That's some that's some powerful both sidesism right there. Potent. It is truly going back decades a matter of historical fact that this is where Hamas is headquartered. That this is a tactic they use to to get media coverage, such as the AP has produced, which by the way was accused of sharing an office with. An office building, but, it, but if you if you come to every here, I'll just let me just say, I was asked the other day by somebody to, how to explain the virulency of these anti-Israel protests on college campuses and the anger and and all of these things, and I said, well, some of it is just good old-fashioned Jew hatred, right? Some of it is just the 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 West's oldest bigotry. And some, it's not just the West, you know. It's well, no, the, the world. Right. But but I can I can only I can only speak to my my culture. It is the oldest bigotry. It is the thousands of. It is more than a thousand years of uh, anti-Semitism in the West, and going back to when scholars blamed Jews for Genghis Khan and the arrival of the Mongol horde. So they just went and burned Jewish communities out for the, because they believed that they were. That the that the Mongols were actually the lost the lost tribe of Israel, we've got a long history of that. So some of it is just that, but another part of it is this: we have no knowledge of history, and young people particularly are operating without sufficient education. And the story of these universities and the stories of these newsrooms are the obvious result 
of people who arrived 30 seconds ago into the world and believe that history started with them and that this is new, right? That this is a, this is a new conflict. And then when they see, I don't know, on TikTok, Osama bin Laden's letter to America, and they're like, hey, this guy's making a lot of sense. You're like, homie, that was just that was just 25 years ago, right? You should have a little more context. You should have a little more information. And if our universities and do not teach people I, actual that was history, just what I was going to say. If you're being educated at Harvard or the right. University of Pennsylvania or Yale University or the University of Virginia, the real problem is that if your parents aren't educating you and right. are instead outsourcing your education to your elementary or high school, I mean, there is a nationwide failure of our education I, system here, which is one of the one of the reasons that I am here. I am so proud of my alma mater, Hamden Sydney College, is that. You can't escape from Hamden Sydney College without having what what educators used to call the furniture of the mind in in place. That you will have to learn Western civilization. You will have to learn the basic tenets of world religions. You will have to learn the basic stuff so that you can function in life. And when schools compete, when elite schools compete for the best of the best and the high scorers and the elite students, what they're basically saying is, "Will you come here and we'll validate you?" You come here and we'll tell you what you want to hear. And then when those people get to the newsrooms of elite news organizations and they're like, this is crazy. They're bombing a hospital and you don't the, the, they lack the context to say, OK, now you've heard about 1948. That's interesting. Let's talk about what happened in between 1948 and now. Right. Interesting point about the settlement of Israel. But have you? But did you know about the Seven Days War? Did you know about the? Did you know about the Intifada? Did you know about? Bup, 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 bup? And if you don't, you're going to be an ignoramus, and it's not helpful. Well, I am not proud of my alma mater, and we're going to get we're going to come full circle oh, okay, to this right. in my favorite item. But I am glad Hampton Sydney College continues to educate students. And on on this hospital coverage, there was a wonderful clip that we highlighted in the free beacon of a Gaza hospital patient who was interviewed by Al Jazeera, who said, this guy is obviously ill. And he says Hamas should go to hell and hide there instead of hiding among the people at the hospitals. And Al Jazeera cuts off the interview. Nah. So <laughs> we're out of time. And we're out clip. of time. Yep. Chris, our next item is a follow-up to something that you and Christine discussed last week, which was the Washington Post editorial page editor David Shipley's removal of a cartoon, a Michael Ramirez cartoon that depicted a Hamas leader's leader with children strapped to him like bombs, and it was meant to caricature and poke fun at Hamas's use of civilians, just as they are doing at these hospitals. And Ramirez, uh, or sorry, excuse me, Shipley apologized for this, removed the cartoon under fire. And the Free Beacon reached out to Ramirez for his comment on this. And he did a wonderful interview with the Beacon, revealing that he actually presented Shipley with several sketches um, to choose from, and that Shipley handpicked this cartoon and then caved in the mm. face of pressure. And it did strike me, I would say, the way Shipley 
presented this in his apology yes. was that he had a much more passive yes, role a in this. very passive voice. And there's always more to the story. Well, Shipley's going to be in big trouble now. So this was a wonderful piece of reporting from the Free Beacons, if Colin you do, Anderson. If, if you do say so. Yourself. I was. That's right. Well, I'm not taking credit for there it here. Is. This is That's a wonderful right. piece of reporting. Okay. How's, how's the Daily Wire doing? A lot of turmoil. A lot there. of turmoil there. A lot of turmoil there. there. And I, I told Chris that walking in here, I had just watched, I think it was 35 minutes or, or so of Tucker Carlson, Carlson's interview with Candace Owens of My the Daily gosh. Wire. What did you do um, wrong to that deserve began that? began with a clip, and let's play that clip, of Ben Shapiro, the founder of the Daily Wire, denouncing Candace Owens' very critical comments of it. Israel. Yes. Uh, the, the question is about Candace Owens. I think her behavior during this is disgraceful. Without a doubt, Candace Owens. I can't. What was that? Yeah. I think she's been absolutely disgraceful. I think that I think that her her faux sophistication on these particular issues has been ridiculous. It's not faux sophistication. It's ridiculous. Everybody can see the moves that she's making and the things that she's saying, and I find them disreputable. Okay. So. For those of you who lead interesting and varied lives, The Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro's mega successful platform fueled by his great success, the great success of his podcast and and a, a Facebook juggernaut, employs Candace Owens. Who is Candace Owens? A MAGA-aligned media personality Kanye, podcast host. Ka- Kanye, Kanye West. Kanye Stan. Yes, ally and media personality, provocateur. And what you heard there was her going on the podcast. Now we're now now we're on a podcast talking about a podcast talking about a podcast. So we're pretty far down the rabbit hole, but bear with us very briefly. Went on the podcast of her her employer's competitor. So this would be like if you had denounced me and then I went on, I don't know, do we have any competition? Is there any real competition? If I went on Brian Stelter, if I if I went on Brian Stelter's media podcast to talk about ink stained wretches on a com- on a competitor podcast to air dirty laundry, it would be tacky to say the least. And what I want to know from you is, what are they fighting about, and why doesn't Ben Shapiro fire her? That is exactly what I wondered. However, in the interview with Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. Candace essentially says, and and this is what confused me, and and I do actually do not know the answer. She says, and I'm characterizing what she said, but she sort of raises questions about what Ben's authority is in the Daily Wire, and she says he lives in Florida. We all work in Nashville, and. My understanding is that Jeremy Boring is the CEO of the Daily Wire. And if you go look at Ben's title, it's like founding editor in chief. And to me, I I left with a question about, like, who's running this thing and does he actually have that authority? Now, he made a comment essentially saying, why don't you quit? He wrote, Candace, if you feel that taking money from the Daily Wire somehow comes between you and God, by all means, quit. And he wrote that in response to her quoting scripture. And but the, at the root of this, this is about Israel. It is, and her not supporting Israel, or her thinking that the Daily Wire supports Israel too much, or that his comments on Israel have been appalling. He's going too far. 
and he takes issue with that. Obviously, Ben is an ardent Zionist. Yeah. And she is where Tucker Carlson is. And Tucker Carlson's well, line. She may, and she may even be where Kanye West is. Right. Yeah. Well, so is Tucker. Yeah. And and she says in the interview, well, Tucker says, people are so emotional about Israel. And why don't they have that emotion about American issues? He said that with Vivek. And he says, we have an invasion happening in this country. And why don't they have that emotion about, you know, the he doesn't say the invasion of immigrants in this interview. He did say that with Vivek. But. And he and then he goes on to attack the donors on college campuses who have pulled their money and says there were terrible things happening on these campuses before. Why were they OK with that? They only pulled their money about Israel. And this is the tenor of the conversation that they're the happening. Jews. Jews in the news. OK, so I don't understand what what the, what the there's a was. lot going on there. Seems like a fire. But but it's also maybe that she's got such a. Because we saw with Steven Crowder when they when they melted down with Steven Crowder that they may have paid her so much money for her hashtag content that it's that it's unfeasible or whatever the the terms of her deal are that it, that she needs to quit they can't fire her or something but I would just say this woof I also think she's not really a responsible actor in what? this space okay i'm being diplomatic here that there's and a that, journalistic there's a journalistic lapse on the part of candace Owens well, at the daily Wire. i'm not even talking about journalism here but that if you as a business are getting into bed with somebody like that you kind of have to expect you're going to end up in a situation like this something yes. very uncomfortable that's ultimately untenable and messy and gross thirstiness is dangerous and I think it goes beyond that here to actually people's fundamental moral and ethical views about things. It go, I, I think this is like goes beyond thirst. I, I am I am relieved to say I don't know I don't know them, and that's okay. And I don't consume the product. I tell you what else I don't consume. I do not consume the work of Aaron Mate, the proprietor of something called The Gray Zone which Mediaite describes as an online outlet sympathetic to Russian, Chinese, and Syrian governments. So that's a real, when, you, when, you've, got, when you've got the CCP, Bashar al-Assad, and Vladimir Putin all in one, in one, one pocket, you've you got something special. Now, and hopefully maybe we can, I don't know if we can get the picture in the newsletter, but I had a recent Amtrak experience, and Longtime listeners may know about my run-ins with the law in the past about bringing bags of meat on the on the train, and I had coming back from New York on Friday. Okay, I already have questions. First of all, when someone says they had an Amtrak experience, is that ever a positive experience? I I uh, let me say I adore the Acela and ride it often, and am uh, very pleased. In fact, I had a fantastic Amtrak experience on that trip where there was a guy, the most annoying person ever, put his dumb headphones on, big can headphones on, and sat on a series of conference calls in his dumb sweater, in his dumb vest, and talked like he was standing in the middle of a cornfield. Well, we got to get the PPPRF over to Rob if we're going to loosen up a little money for some VC. And it was like, 
I'll I'll kill you here with a shrimp fork. I I'm not. And I was sitting across from him at one. They have four seat tables, and I was sitting caddy corner from him, and he was so awful. And eventually, the porter made him move. And I was just in love with that porter. It was just the best thing ever. So Amtrak has its great moments. Oh, can I tell a completely yeah. random story? Yeah. My mom, who I know will be listening to this. Hello. I I booked her on an Amtrak train from New York to D.C. And it's my mommy. So I booked her a first class ticket. On the Acela? On the Acela. Okay. And she gets off and she... I, I didn't tell her any of the details and she was like, so, oh my gosh, like they served me a meal and a, it's delicious. And, and they ordered me a drink and she, then she says, but there was this guy, an adult man sitting in front of her who was fighting the whole time with one of these stewardess. I don't know what you call them. A porter. Who help you, a, a porter. porter. Yep. And he was, must've been, you know, 50. And she said that every time the porter would walk away. The guy would call his mom and go, mom, this woman is being so rude. You won't believe what happened, mom. Okay. I love you, mom. Hang. And then the next thing would happen, mom, mom, you won't believe what happened. Sounds like a disordered. <laughs> okay. I love, love you, mom. Sounds like a, sounds like a <laughs> disordered. telling me this and going, he was an adult man calling his mother. He was. Okay. Love you, mom. Ad adult in, in the loosest term. So on the same yeah. train. I had not eaten all day. I was absolutely starving, and I picked up a large quantity of meat from, there's a place called Pastrami Queen. At, I was about to ask where you procure your meat bags. I, 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 I scored, I scored a, a whole bundle of meat at the Pastrami Queen. And yes, John Padora, it's, it was corned beef, not pastrami. I'm too, my, my, my goyishness is, is too intense. I cannot take the pastrami. I must enjoy the corned beef. So I had a bunch of corned beef and a bunch of chicken salad. And there was a young woman who was, the train was absolutely full and she was seated right next to me. And she had to watch what happened. And it was not, I, like, I didn't feel, I don't feel bad about normal, just a bag of meat in my suit coat pocket where I'm going to enjoy delicious steak. That's fine. I'm not hurting anybody. But this was a transgressive quantity of meat and also because it had to be unpacked and rolled out. So my apologies to people. But I felt better when I saw this about Aaron Mate, uh, pro-Syrian Chinese and Russian uh, media outlet, who was seated across on the same same line, Delaware Senator Chris Coons. So let's let's hear a little bit of this. Senator, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but why not call for a ceasefire in Gaza? I'm a journalist. My name's Aaron Mate. Why not call for a ceasefire in Gaza? You have 46... 4,600 children killed. This is 46. I know it's a quiet card. I apologize for abuse, but I understand. But children are dying. Children are dying, sir. More than 40. When I call for a cease, they're being killed with our weapons. U.S. weapons are killing kids in Gaza. Who are you? My name is Aaron Mate. I'm a journalist. Nice to meet you, Aaron. Likewise. Please stop talking to me. <laughs> so, so just we, uh, I include it to say. He was acting as a journalist. Whatever blog you've got, however biased, whatever, you're part of the press, that's fine. It's not that he's not acting as a journalist because he has out there opinions or views. But if he was Maggie Haberman, right, if he were, 
if 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 he was the reincarnation of Teddy White, you still can't talk to people like that, and you cannot in a captive space on a train on a moving train do that. And I hate I hate to give this Aaron Mate attention, but gross. Better better to be seated next to a simple country pundit with too much corned beef than it is to be seated across would from. Would you t- would you rather Aaron Mate or the dude calling his mom? I I I think Aaron Mate if if I didn't if I had to be seated next to I would enjoy the Aaron Mate one because I would enjoy him eventually when the conductor came and threw him off of a speeding train I would enjoy getting <laughs> to see that happen. All right. We have reached the 2024 portion of this podcast. Ah yes. And Chris, you flagged this Politico piece headline. What? Firm powering Haley's presidential bid hit with harassment lawsuit. Just a perfect Politico story. Just a mwah. So I guess you read the headline, Nikki Haley must be harassing somebody or something. This must be serious. Ah, but wait. No, indeed. The Cold Spark is the name of the firm. It's out of Pittsburgh. And a former Cold Spark junior employee alleged in the suit that it had worked in her in late 2021. She was groped by... Ryan Reynolds, not that Ryan Reynolds, a vice president of the firm who left about a year later. She asserted that senior management was made aware of the incident but did not address it, which I'm sure is is true. But basically Maybe. what well, no, I'm sure she yes, filed yes. a lawsuit. I'm sure that she alleges that. I'm sure that's all true. The idea that this is somehow a Nikki Haley story because of an HR complaint at this firm from an incident like it's not culture of it, it's it's not like it's a a culture of uh, mass sexism at this firm or that Nikki Haley was in any way involved and this is what you get when you're on the rise this is what you get when you're on the rise and this is what you get when reporters get opposition research and somebody says and I'm looking at you, Ron DeSantis campaign, and, and this is this is this is politics ain't being bagged. Stipulate this is what happens, but this is the, the, this is how you know it's working is that you get hit with stories like these. Let me tell you why this. I agree with everything you said, but let me tell you why this is related to Nikki Haley and what, and she should expect much more of it. Oh yeah, because. Nikki Haley's whole career, she has been hit with, you had an affair with X, you slept with a blogger, you had an affair with Donald Trump, the right. old Michael Wolf thing. And and Vivek this, Ramaswamy has, has as, the, as they would say on the internet, surfaced these old allegations. And I expect, as she continues to rise, this sort of thing will be hovering in the background and that is immediately what i thought of here this is another version of you surround yourself with people who engage in sexual impropriety and i just expect a lot lots more of this and plus if you're a female candidate and you can attach it's sort of when kamala harris the willie brown story that came back out like oh willie brown oh did kamala harris sleep her way to the top and yeah montel I think that is right. Montel Montel Jordan or Montel Williams? Really? Colin Chicola with the gut. Yes, he's right. Really? Yep. Well, well, right on. Okay, there you go. I I've I've always liked Montel, and he uh, he was at Fox for a while when I was there, and I've always found him very charming and enjoyable. He's a, a, a 
was was fun and generous. Okay, so there you go with that. But what about Nikki Haley? Speaking of Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley go, uh, goes on Fox. So there, the, there's a problem Nikki Haley has, which is about oversteering, right? She is imprudent. It, she tends to be rhetorically imprudent. And when she sees something, she goes hard. And so she goes on Fox. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday. She goes on Fox, I believe, Tuesday. Is like, we're going to do away with anonymity on the Internet. And she's doing an interview with Harris Faulkner on Fox. Like, we're going to get rid of that. And then people are going to have to be a lot more polite after the fact. And after, after we've inf- we have forced, we forced people to be identified on the Internet. And then the next day, after she gets pilloried for this by her opponents and by free speech people who say, you can't ban anonymity on the Internet, that people have a constitutional right to free speech that is not conditioned on them identifying themselves. And so she said, well, I'm okay with that. And and does, I forget, maybe it was CNBC, but went on someplace else and walked it back. And I would say that for Nikki Haley, as she is having her moment and she's making strides, she's the things that you say when you're at 1% are not scrutinized in the way that they are when you're at 19%, right? When you When you have forward progress and you're moving, and you want to do all these interviews and you want to be everywhere, you cannot speak so freely. You just, it, 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 is the, it is the trade-off, right? You have to speak pretty freely to get momentum and you've got to try to do that. But once you're in the driver's seat, you've got to start, you can't just splurp out new policies while you're talking in an interview and then find yourself the next day going out to clean it up. This is an example of an unforced error and a wasted news cycle for Nikki Haley. And sorry, I looked on the side. Did we say she walked at this back? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So that's the that the, that's the the hard facts of life when you're when you're succeeding. The Washington Post. You have heard me before complain. Your favorite newspaper. You've heard me for before complain about, and it's not just the Post that does these, but everybody does these. We're going to have a salon. We're going to have an encounter. We're going to bring in a public official and we're going to talk. We're going to talk to somebody from this agency or that agency. And it's a different kind of interview, right? It's like it's not even an interview because you're using a different journalistic standard than you would for an interview because this person is your guest. And by the way, you're making money off the event, right? You're, you're, this is an extra thing that you're selling. And the Washington Post, being the Washington Post, was a innovator in this field. And this was at the Washington Post's Washington Post Live, uh, its Global Women's Summit, which sounds like a very long day. That sounds like an extraordinarily long day. But they convinced, how do we pronounce her first name? Is it Fanny or? Fanny. Fanny. Okay. I've heard it pronounced different ways. It looks like a Fanny or looks like it should be pronounced Fanny, rather, I should say. And so they convince Fannie Willis, uh, the uh, prosecutor leading the charge against Donald Trump. In, in the Georgia case. To come on, to come to this event. And Fannie Willis, of course, foolishly, errantly speculates in this setting about how long the trial will go, when she thinks it will run and do all this stuff. Fannie Willis has not engaged in the same level of media hustling as Alvin Bragg in New York did at the outset. And but this is this is a fail on her part for going to this and looking for this, the clicks and the the action. 
you cannot, if you're prosecuting the front runner for the Republican nomination, you cannot do this. You cannot be there. You cannot engage in speculation. You cannot do it. And what the Washington Post cannot do is dress up an interview in the clothes of, well, it wasn't really an interview. It was just a summit. We're just having a, we're, we're convening a summit. We can do these other things. This is not how you're supposed to do that stuff. And also noteworthy is while she was in D.C. for this, she attended a top dollar Democratic fundraiser and she is obviously eyeing the next, you know, rung in the ladder of, the, of her political career. At least do it behind closed raising doors. Raising money for raising money around this. You can raise a little you can raise a little money. At least do it behind closed doors. Don't don't go and pretend like this is a not any, anything other than what it is. Speaking of new alliances, there is there's turmoil at Univision, the Spanish language broadcaster that has embraced has has a new friendship after a long hostile relationship with Donald Trump has embraced a a new warm relationship with Donald Trump and one of the most prominent anchors at the news division has quit over it Leon Leon Krause I've never heard of this person I so I have not I'm not I'm not uh, I do not speak Spanish uh believe it or not uh I am not a fluent Spanish speaker but uh, he quit. Well, I do, and I still don't know how to pronounce his name. So, well, then what? You have no excuse. You have no excuse. But the uh, Chris, we speak English, and we don't know how to pronounce a lot of people's names. You just asked how to pronounce Fanny. That's true. Well, I've, that's true. That's true. Um, but uh, it's an interesting story about the new dynamic at Univision and the relationship between Trump, Jared Kushner, people in his orbit, with leveraging their way into this. And I, I would only say for a lot of for a lot of outlets in Latin America, these kinds of cozy relationships with people in power would not be surprising, right? That there would be this the same kind of stuff. This is why the Washington Post should not do summits. This is why these other things. It's not it's not good and you can't be you can't hold people accountable who are also your buddies and that you're doing cozy things with. Univision, this just struck me as, this is clearly not their posture. I mean, Jorge Ramos is one of the most politically charged journalists. Mm -hmm. We saw their anchor at the second Republican presidential debate, obviously not coming from a warm and friendly place towards Republicans. And clearly, given their move with this anchor, this is not where they want to be. Well, right. It sounds so they're they're moving and it is they're They have new owner ownership at at the company and a change of tune vis-a-vis Trump, which, of course, we've seen growth, especially among male Hispanic voters in the United States with Donald Trump. And this is so of note. Note it. OK. Oh, this. OK. I don't want to be too. I don't want to be too mean. So Jonathan Chait has a piece in New York Magazine. And I want to say, I don't fundamentally disagree with his premise, which is basically this. Joe Biden can't not run on the economy because if the economy is bad and people think the economy is bad, he'll get just clubbed for it, right? He needs the economy to be good because if, if we're in recession and inflation does not continue to abate, 
he will be punished for it by voters. But I must say, I must say, I must. Here's the lead. <sighs> the single most common criticism of President Biden's reelection campaign is that he made a ghastly error by branding his policies Biden Bidenomics. Is that, Jonathan Chait, the single most common criticism of the President Biden's reelection campaign? No, Jonathan Chait. The single most common criticism of Joe Biden's reelection campaign is that he is one million years old. That is the single most common. The idea that. Can I, can I, yes. I have a different common yes. criticism. The single most common criticism of Joe Biden's presidential campaign is that it exists at all. That it exists at all. Yes. That is it, the, the starting with this canard, the idea that. Everybody just keeps saying all they're saying is that that that's all anybody talks about with Joe Biden's uh, reelection campaign is Bidenomics. No, that is not that. So when you start with the premise that this is the major problem, if Joe Biden were 20 years younger, he would not be in the situation that he is. But he is very elderly and seems very elderly. And this is his problem. Poll after poll say says it. And it's just. It sh maybe it should have been in facile files, but no, it, that is not that is not the central criticism of Joe Biden. You you nailed it, Chris. Let's talk about Congress. I think two weeks ago we talked about the new House Speaker Mike Johnson and the, the Politico interview with the expert on Christian yes. nationalism and the fact that he said this is a country founded on a creed, which was the dog whistle that he is a Christian nationalist. Much coverage and of that. We have yeah. in we have in Axios a story headline, Speaker Mike Johnson calls separation of church and state a misnomer. Yes, in an interview with Squawk Box on CNBC, the separation of church and state is a misnomer. People misunderstand it. Of course it comes from the phrase that was in a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote. It's not in the Constitution. What he was explaining is that they did not want the government to encroach upon the church, not that they didn't want principles of faith to encroach on our public life. It's exactly the opposite. The purpose of the separation of church and state is not to keep people of faith out of government. That's 100 percent true. That's 100 percent true. What it is for, what it is for is to keep the government from establishing religion. That's the point. Right. The point of separation of church and state is to deny the government power to use faith to manipulate the populace and to disenfranchise or to to interfere with people's free worship. That that's the point. So Johnson is maybe missing the mark, but it's not a can you believe it? This is a fairly commonly held thing. New Republic and so this has been in the Mike Johnson is a Mike Flynn style Christian nationalist. New Republic, House Speaker Mike Johnson has three flags hanging outside his office, an American flag, the Louisiana state flag, and a flag representing a movement that wants to turn the United States into a religious Christian nation. Normal stuff, you know. Now, the flag at issue here is the appeal to, is, is the appeal to heaven flag, which George Washington approved for the Massachusetts Naval Militia, I believe, to use. And it's a, a lone pine tree with an appeal to heaven, asking for God to be on the side of the revolution, basically. And it is certainly true that many of many Christian nationalists have embraced this symbol, and it's around. 
But there are many who are not. There, I mean, we're talking here about a very niche group of things. But this is not like putting a Nazi flag or the battle flag of the Confederacy or something that is explicit. There, There's room here. And I didn't expect to find it here, but I want to credit National Public Radio for a piece which I have included. Speaker Johnson's Close Ties to the Christian Right, both mainstream and French, is very nearly a thoughtful exploration of these themes, talking to experts and trying to figure some stuff out. And But I will say that the obsession with, and maybe Mike Johnson is a weirdo. I, I don't know Mike Johnson. I don't know what I don't know how he butters his theological bread and have not made a study of it, but the narrative that has gathered around him as a Christian nationalist is one that is going to, will, will haunt his tenure as speaker. This will, it will be in the press, the defining characteristic of his speakership. Chris, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to, that's a nice transition to the facile file. Yes, here we are. Where we have several stories and the first up, is who could have guessed? Who could have guessed? The Washington Post with a piece, the librarian who couldn't take it anymore. She, she loved, loved books. books. <laughs> and in a time of spreading book bans in public schools, that's why this Florida librarian had to quit. It's it's amazing. It's it truly amazing. It's a huge piece. Can I, can we yeah, get this line? Please. When she had decided to become a librarian almost 10 years ago, it was for a simple reason. She loved to read. Now she watched <laughs> as the work she did at a high school in Central Florida became part of a national debate. There were fights going on over democracy and fascism. There were parents and school board members arguing on social media and in meetings. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis wasn't just passing laws, but using them to run for president. The horror. Here's my favorite exchange. It was about a month later that Tanya started talking to another librarian, Aaron Decker, about leaving the profession. Aaron worked at a middle school and had an idea to open an independent bookstore. They didn't know much about running a business. But then a crystal shop in downtown Kissimmee was closing. Oh, and they were putting in an application on the lease. And now slowly, Tanya was telling people at school about her decision. Oh, no, wait, this, this, uh, the, the crystal shop is very good. But my favorite, my favorite passage relates to she heard the first period bell ring at 7.15 a.m. She'd wanted to get at, to the box right away. But now she saw one of the school administrators at her door. This is a box of, of books that are supposed to be put in another section of the library. Get, get to her door asking whether she'd heard about the latest education mandate in Florida. What's the name of the thing, he said? Freedom Week? She exhaled loudly. Freedom Week. Oh, good, he said. You know about this. Yes, Tanya knew about it. It was one more thing the state had asked of them. A mandatory recitation of parts of the Declaration of Independence to reaffirm the American ideals of individual liberty, along with something else he had heard from the district. They asked us to please not celebrate Banned Banned Books Week, Tanya said. How dare, Eliana, how dare Florida force people, force students to reaffirm the ideals of individual liberty and read passages from the Declaration of Independence? Freedom Week, indeed. Indeed. I hope the crystal shop opens up so that they can have their independent bookstore and be freed from having to teach children about the Declaration of Independence. 
Up next, Chris. Harumph. Oh, this uh, this is uh, this is. I boy, I always end up picking on the Washington Post too much. I'm sorry, Washington Post. But this is a boom of ballot initiatives is reshaping the state's democracy. And it's a story about starts out and you're like, oh, this could be an interesting story about the dangers of direct democracy versus the opportunities and what happens when lawmakers can't do their jobs and can ballot initiatives and referenda break through. And the author seems to be clear eyed about the dangers and about outside interests and all of these things. And then you know what it turns into? like a 5,000-word pay-on to this woman, a progressive activist going door-to-door in Nebraska. Here's the conclusion. The streets were now dark. So the canvassers climbed into their cars and drove back to Lincoln. In two hours of door-knocking, Edenstein and Gould had collected 13 signatures. The total haul for the group was 97 which meant that they still had about 290 signatures more to go to reach the 5% threshold in Saline County. They had eight months to make up the difference. And you can just see like the, the Kia rolling into the, into the early twilight of the Nebraska, of the Nebraska fall. And it's just, I'm sorry, I, I just hated it and I shouldn't pick on it so much and I apologize. And finally, before we get to our style section, We have a New York Times piece about (laughs) cognitive fog. Can't think, can't remember, colon. More Americans say they're in a cognitive fog. Adults in their 20s, 30s, and 40s are driving the trend. Researchers point to long COVID as a major cause. There are more Americans who say they have serious cognitive problems with remembering, concentrating, or making decisions than at any time in the last 15 years, data from the Census Bureau shows. Well, I think I might have this. Yeah, this is a real amazing. This And, and the fact that they took it to long COVID is, and they do touch on these other things, but this is a dubious, this is a self-reporting thing, right? So there's a lot of, on social media, and there's a lot of in all kinds of media coverage, like, oh, like being a dumb and overwhelmed, a status thing, right, for younger people and feeling overwhelmed and being in a cognitive fog. Here's another thing that you could also talk about as a contributing factor here. Marijuana is everywhere. I cannot go down the street without being awash in a a massive plume of reefer smoke. A lot of things have happened and that, that they, this is dubious analysis because this is the dubious data because it's self-reported. What is, do you feel like you're in a cognitive fog? Young people more increasingly increasingly say that. Well, compared to what, right? There's that. And then there's also this. How many reasons? How many reasons might there be for that? And why to say long COVID? I don't, I'm, I don't, I don't dig it. And I do think the constant use of phones and social media. Yes. And the, the, I mean, staring at a phone all day has the effect of zoning you out. And it's depressing. Or what if you haven't been able to get to your bag of meat? What if you're just late? What if it's late in the day and you have not gotten to your bag of meat yet? You're going to be in a cognitive fog. Bag of meat will take care of that, Um, young people. That brings us to our style section. I about died when I saw this. This was excellent. Um, The New York Times last week, I think it was November 9th, so a week ago, a new chapter for a checkered scarf. And it is about the keffiyeh. 
Oh, dear. As demonstrations have cropped up globally in support of civilians in Gaza. That's one way to put it. (laughs) Some Palestinians are encouraging non-Palestinians to wear keffiyehs as a show of solidarity. And the Times writes, around the neck, over the head, draped down the back, pinned into hair, wrapped around a face. There are many ways to style a keffiyeh, the square checkered scarf traditionally worn in parts of the Middle East. I mean... Baby, that is a real, that is a real doozy. And there are pictures everywhere in this article of the new style symbol. You know, I'll wait for the piece on the yarmulke and black hats as the new will you the, be, the will new you hot be, style will be, symbol. Will you be trying yeah. out the kefir for the, the Thanksgiving? To fill in yeah. as a new style symbol. And the other one, also from the Times, was McDonald's teaming up with major fashion brands. Yes, now At this. At McDonald's, a growing appetite for fashion. This one we really loved. By working with Vediments, the skate brand Palace, and now Crocs, the fast food chain has become an unlikely source of style. I wouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> and I loved this part. This is about a a designer at the brand Moschino, I think it's pronounced. I saw the iconic McDonald's logo, Mr. Scott said, and it just hit me. Moschino, McDonald's. I have, I've always been very much about pop culture, he added. He got the job at Machino not long after, and he then began to work with its graphics team to contort the fast food chain's golden arches into the shape of a heart, a signature motif of the Italian fashion brand. And in the piece, um, there's a wonderful picture of a Machino model wearing sunglasses um, that are two hearts around the eyes, and they're sort of golden arch-shaped hearts. I, I want to see you in these. It's great. I want Maybe for the debate, I want to see, I wanna see you great. in these. <laughs> I just want to know, where's the McRib? All I want for my birthday, my birthday is tomorrow, and all I want for my birthday is a McRib. I've been saving up. I've been good. I want a McRib, and the McRib availability in Northern Virginia, D.C. is is so far... Not where I'd like to see it. There have been some sightings. So I'm just hoping tomorrow it works out that I can force the people I love. Where do you want to go for dinner, they said. Where do you want to go for dinner for your birthday? I said, well, if the McRib is in, we have to go to McDonald's. And for my sister, who is going to be there, because, of course, we're going to enjoy my eldest man-child's performance in the school play, which he is excellent. Look forward to that. And for Jessica, it is my darling Jessica. It is a true mark of their love for me that they would, if possible, submit themselves to a McRib dinner. Though I doubt either of them would actually eat the McRib. I think they're, they may be even less likely than you to eat a McRib. Well, that means you're surrounded by good people. <laughs> I really do. Chris, mm. that brings us to our obsessions of the week. Yeah. Where we... Break down the stories we can't get out of our heads. And mine is from the BBC. And I could not think of a better case of reading and hearing what you want to hear. Mm -hmm. And this is the BBC. We're going to play the clip. Misreporting a Reuters report. Let's play that clip. At this moment, we are hearing from Reuters that is reporting that Israel, it says its forces are carrying out an operation against Hamas in Gaza's Al-Shifa hospital, and they are targeting people, including medical teams as well as Arab speakers. Uh, they are also saying that Israel is calling on all Hamas 
operatives in the hospital to surrender at this point. Once again, we are hearing from Reuters that Israel says that its forces are carrying out an operation against Hamas in that hospital that we had just heard of. They are targeting is Arab speakers as well as some of the medical staff there. And they are asking all Hamas operatives in that hospital to surrender. Chris, this was unbelievable because it was actually the precise opposite that Reuters reported. The BBC said, the BBC said that medical teams and Arab, Arabic speakers were being targeted by Israelis when, in fact, Israel was embedding Arabic speakers and medical professionals with the Israeli forces to ensure that their operation inside this Shifa hospital was so careful and that the actual patients inside this hospital were not harmed while this was all unfolding. But, you know, I'm sure this was a totally honest mistake. BBC is really having a great run. So the BBC then had to apologize for this. But our friend Noah Rothman at National Review broke this down in a wonderful piece. And he writes, the reality on the ground in Gaza bears no semblance to the narrative the BBC retailed. Not only are Israeli forces not simply executing antiseptic airstrikes on the notorious Hamas command and control node beneath the sprawling Al-Shifa hospital complex, which would be justified not just by the laws of armed conflict, but by America's example. Instead, Israel is exposing its infantry to excessive danger by committing its forces to an operation designed to clear the hospital room by room while simultaneously under fire, maintaining the ongoing medical service ser- services the facility is providing to Gaza's civilians. There you have it. There you have it. Noah Rothman, always semper fidelis. Over to you. So there's new data from the Pew Research Center on where Americans get their news and how they get it. And something amazing is happening. So TikTok, which we've talked about here before, we just talked about the Osama bin Laden letter that has become a sensation on TikTok. Something different is happening. Something different is happening with TikTok than we've seen on other sites, which is the degree to which news content is penetrating or on TikTok. And we should be clear here that when we say news content, this is what users believe to be news content, right? This isn't that it all comes from news outlets or whatever, but this is where do you think that you get your news? And among Americans ages 18 to 29, 32% now say that they regularly get news from TikTok. That is a lot. And it's not just the the fact that it's carrying over into this age age group as it's not just teens and the the struggle for content and getting in front of users on TikTok is a a big challenge. And one thing I think Republicans have to bear in mind, critics of TikTok have to bear in mind. It's extraordinarily popular, right? It's basically the most popular website in the United States. And it's it's winning. And I think that, that Vivek Ramaswamy has a point, which is when you have a bunch of Republicans get together and say, ah, the TikTok, these terrible, we're going to ban it, we're going to shut it down. This is, there's a lot, a lot. Of, and when I say young people here, we're talking about people in their 20s 
who are getting news there. That's a third of people in their 20s are regularly getting news on TikTok. I don't think the abolishment, I, I don't know how this is all going to go, but this this is uh, a really interesting uh, set of numbers. The share of TikTok users who regularly get their news there has doubled since 2020. That's a lot. And this is something people ought to be thinking about, news organizations ought to be thinking about. Chris, that brings us to my favorite time of the week, which is reader mail. And we have a note from Michelle Johnson. Michelle writes, Eliana and Chris, I thought you might enjoy this fascinating and charming profile of book clubs dedicated to reading Finnegan's Wake that meet over decades to complete the task. Every anecdote is a treasure. And she pulls out two of them. She says, starting in 1995, between 10, and this is a piece from The Guardian, I should note, starting in 1995, between 10 and 30 people would show up to monthly meetings at a local library. At first, they read two pages a month, eventually slowing to just one page per discussion. At that pace, the group, which now meets on Zoom, reached the final page in October. It took them 28 years. Different anecdote, the amount of time could well be a record, said Sam Sloat, a Joyce expert at Trinity College Dublin and one of the editors of How Joyce Wrote Finnegan's Wake. His own weekly wake group in Dublin, which is made up of about a dozen Joyce scholars, is on track to read through the text in a brisk 15 years. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because Finnegan's Wake, of course, is supposed to be, I, of course, would not know, given that I have not read this book, the most impenetrable Joyce novel. Yes, it's it's something. It is something. And oh, I saw coverage of this. This is is the the about the book club. Here's a here's a good deep dive and a good appreciation of literature. Thank you, Michelle Johnson. Up next, we oh, have you. Good luck. Oh my goodness! I send uh, you good luck. I note see now from Andrew Malot M L O T from North Carolina. And Andrew, the subject line is to Eliana with love, with love. Andrew, and, this is a family podcast. So yes. We'll see how I will see how Eliana navigates um, this space. And this, this is, is good, a, good this practice is about, for the debate. Oh, goodness. This is about how YouTubers are testing out one of the cheating conspiracies about one of the allegations against Hans Niemann, who Magnus Carlsen, the chess superstar, accused of cheating against him. They accused him of using anal something or other. V- vibes. Vibes to messages were sent through the to, through the the rectum of of this person so that he would they could use a supercomputer to send moves through his bowels. Yes. And the the lead of this piece is wonderful. The chess world was rocked by a cheating scandal. Last September, after former world champion Magnus Carlsen insinuated that an opponent, Grandmaster Hans Niemann, had used foul play to beat him at foul, the Sinkfield Cup in St. Louis, Missouri. Now some British YouTubers have put the most outlandish theory that arose from the scandal to the test. The answer appears to be yes. Okay? No, that's going to be have, a no. We're going to put this article <laughs> in the link, or in the in the newsletter. I apologize. And Mr. Malott, thank you, but I uh, to our listeners, I apologize. Chris? Yeah. Oh, that, yes. That brings us to our favorite items of the week. Where you are, where I am forced to say something nice, but you're going to lead me by example. 
Uh, great piece in a uh, pointer at the, from the Institute's uh, website uh, from Stephen Waldman, uh, who is Report for America, I believe, and a local news advocate. Nextdoor and Facebook local groups. Headline, instead of Taylor Swift beat reporters, we need Nextdoor beat reporters. And he makes his case that in the, the Gannett, the imploding local power once powerhouse, now decrepit local news conglomerate, took a lot of flack for hiring Taylor Swift and I think it was Beyonce beat reporters. And what Mr. Waldman recommends here is to get on Nextdoor and Facebook local groups. Nextdoor now has sites in 330,000 communities reaching 53 million people. By contrast, the collective audience, print and digital of all of America's newspapers, is 24.3 million on weekdays. That's right. Nextdoor's reach is on par, if not greater, than that of America's news. And so here's his suggestion. In addition to having, say, Taylor Swift beat reporters, Wonka Wonka, news organizations could have Nextdoor and Facebook beat reporters. They could walk the beat as if they were learning a new neighborhood. They'd listen and read the concerns of people in the area, not with opinions. They'd listen and react to the concerns of people in the area, not with opinions, but with reporting. So when someone posts a question about why there were helicopters over the neighborhood the previous night, the members could not just trade speculation. They could ask their embedded reporter who could call the appropriate officials and find out. They could post the answers on Nextdoor and possibly on the home website of the news organization. Great idea. Great idea. Don't fight it. Lean into it. And Waldman makes a point. There's a lot of sneering at Nextdoor in local newsrooms. Stop sneering. Jump in the pool. My favorite item, Chris, is going to bring us full circle to pride or lack of pride in our alma maters. The Free Beacon co-published a piece with the Free Press about Yale Law School and where budding legal scholars and the next generation of influential lawyers are studying and its posture on the Israel-Hamas war. And there is a Center for Human Rights at Yale Law School, the Shell Center for Human Rights. And the opening anecdote of this piece is that the Shell Center for Human Rights a couple of years ago had sponsored an event on apartheid in Israel. And several days after the Israel-Hamas war had said nothing about Hamas's obvious human rights atrocities committed in Israel, a Jewish law student reached out to them to ask whether there would be programming or whether the center planned to say anything. They got a response from Yale Law School. This the student got a re- response from Yale Law from a Yale Law School professor James Silk that said the following. We at the Shell Center are trying very hard and earnestly to do what is, in some calculation, best for our responsibilities in our community, James Silk wrote. That is more complex than people hurt so directly by last week's atrocities in Israel might feel. More weeks have passed. They are doing some programming or they have done some programming around it now. But this piece goes deep into the hand-wringing response and so-called you know, human rights lawyers. Very nice. Very nice. That is all the time we have for the news about the news. If you have a story that you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter at nebulouspodcasts.com. 
This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media, produced by Colin Chicola. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five to six star review. Uh, uh, seven. Just search for Wretches. Wretches.